if you think that you might be struggling with depression or you know someone, someone close to you who is, you suspect is struggling with depression, one of the first things you, should, you can do and should do is go get a physical from your GP, um, particularly looking at the blood scan because there are other, there are other situations that could they will mimic the symptoms of depression. For example, someone with early onset diabetes, they will, they will have all of the symptoms. It will present very much, if not exactly, like depression. So over the years of counseling, I think there's been three that took my advice and went and got a physical. And in each case, they didn't have to come back for counseling. All they needed was the medication. Um, for in, in every situation, it was diabetes. Okay, so keep that in the back of your mind um, because you can go to a counselor or you can go to your pastor and talk until the Lord actually returns and it won't help if you're struggling with diabetes. Okay, let's move on then. Make sure you tell your, oh, by the way, <laughs> make sure you tell your, phys, your physician why you're there so that he will, he or she will take, may pay special attention to blood sugar levels, thyroid function, etc. okay? Depression is a mood disorder that causes persistent feelings of sadness and a loss of interest in previously enjoyable life activities. It affects how you think, how you feel, and how you behave. And the feelings of sadness and a loss of interest in, in, in the things of life can be really severe or less. There are lots of different forms of depression, and I'm not going to get into it here because it's outside the scope of what we want to talk about. But there are, just for ease of simplifying, just to simplify it a little bit, there are basically two categories, and one is what is referred to as endogenous, and that's just a physiological depression. It's caused by something not functioning in your body. And so the you, you'll be put on medication and the right dosage of medication, and you will function normally. Counseling will not help at all. Talking to anyone about it won't help at all unless you're on, the, on medication, that's the only solution. So that's endogenous. That's a very small, in my estimation, much less uh, significant amount of depression is what I would call endogenous or physiological. The, most, the biggest category is reactive depression, or another word would be situational, and it's caused by a loss or sudden change in the environment or circumstances of the person who's struggling with depression. And that accounts for the majority of depression out there. It's characterized by a depressed state, response to an external event that always involves some loss. Now that loss could be something really concrete, something you can see, something you can identify really quickly. For example, loss of a job, a financial setback, a death. Health, loss of health, loss of relationship, loss of community. Or it could be an abstract loss. And what I mean by that is the, an example would be a loss of a dream. 
a loss of an expectation. Let me flesh it out a bit. A number of years ago, I had a young man come to me that I knew well, and he, uh, when I asked him how I could help him, he said he was depressed. And so when we talked, I'm listening, I'm asking him questions, and he's offering a lot of information, and I'm listening for a loss. And there was nothing. Like it was, just, and I'm kind of going, I was a young, inexperienced, young, younger than I am now, <laughs> counselor. And I was asked, as I asked him all these questions, I'm floundering because I don't hear any loss. In desperation, I asked him, I said, how's, how's your marriage? He'd been married about a year and a half at that point. One would expect when you're married a year and a half, it would be two thumbs up. And that's not what he said. What he talked about was, and I knew the background, he was, he was raised in the church, he was a believer, and he went to a youth function in a large city and met a young woman there, and she had some significant family issues, a non-believer. She was not a Christian at the time. He got to know her, he liked her, he kept in touch with her, so they talked on the phone a lot back and forth, and eventually she did commit her life to Christ. So then they, they, they got more serious about the relationship, they got engaged, and ultimately were married. He was of significant help to her all the way through that whole process. After she, they got married, and after you know, she continued to grow in her relationship with the Lord, she didn't have all those problems anymore. From his perspective, she didn't need him anymore. And he was getting his sense of value and worth and self-esteem from being of help and assistance. And because he lost that, he went into some level of depression. So that's what I mean by an abstract loss. There's lots of people who struggle with a loss of a dream or an expectation. They thought life would turn out like this, and it hasn't. So what's grief? Grief is a personal, it's universal, everybody struggles with it at times. It's natural, it's a normal response to any loss. It's the emotional feeling that you experience when something or someone that you love is, has, has lost. They've been, it's taken away, whether by choice or taken, you've had to surrender it. The individual experience of grief will vary according to the nature of the loss. Same as depression. So when you look at depression and you look at grief, they look exactly the same. The common denominator is loss. So where do they differ? Well, grief tends to decrease over time, or at least you're not as aware of it, while depression, on the other hand, will tend to be more persistent and pervasive. Grief comes in waves, and it's triggered by anything that will remind you of whatever it is you or whatever person you have lost. And so there are situations where the person who's struggling with grief will be when they're with their friends, when they're with a social setting that they really enjoy, they will probably not be as aware of it where if they are depressed, they're still going to be struggling. Some of the similarities, feeling irritable, angry, uh, cranky, 
If you look around right now, there's a lot of cranky people out there, boy. I mean, there's a lot. A tendency to be impulsive. Uh, perhaps lacking in judgment about decision-making. And dis- difficulty making decisions. It feels like a really hard, onerous task to make a decision. A feeling of exhaustion and fatigue. And your brain doesn't know that perhaps the difference between physical fatigue and mental fatigue. It just, you just feel tired. Trouble remembering things. Uh, slowness in response which oftentimes will show up in difficulty in concentrating, comprehending, or recalling information. Most every situation that causes reactive depression also will, you'll experience normal grief before that. The triggers and the feelings for grief and depression are very, very similar. They're identical and they tend to overlap. The question then is, if the triggers are similar and the feelings are similar, then what really is the difference? And I'm going to suggest it's found in the passage that Laura read from Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm not going to read it all, but you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. It's hope that makes the difference. Whether it's legitimate hope or, a, or the genuine, authentic hope that we have in Christ, or whether it's an illegitimate, inappropriate hope, it will still make a difference for people. So the reference, of course, and context of that, that verses, those verses of Scripture is that some loved ones had fallen asleep. They died. It's, it's a temporary thing because they're going to rise again. But they grieve these people who have lost someone are grieving differently. My dad died when uh, way too young, in my estimation, and I was very much aware that I was, in spite of the fact that it was very, very difficult for me, I was going to see him again because he knew the Lord and I knew know the Lord. I'm going to see him someday. There's no question in my mind about that. I am going to see him. If I don't have that hope, then I have to pretend. <laughs> I have to pretend that someday it's all, we're all going to go there. Okay? Or I have to make up a story that's going to fit and make me feel better. Or at least I'm going to have to figure out how to quench this incredible pain. So grieving with little or no hope looks quite different and inevitably produces some level or results in reactive depression. When I experience grief, the question then is, what can I do that would possibly mitigate this possibility of going into depression? I'm going to come to that in just a minute, but I'm going to suggest that what we're going through in our society right now after all of these months of having to contend with COVID, is that we have lost a lot. Their whole social structure has been ripped apart for us. The interaction face-to-face with family, with friends, has been at least diminished, if not taken away. The frustration of having to deal with others who have a different viewpoint. You know, there's a continuum of, of people in terms of how they look at what's going on, to from casual to unhealthy fear. 
And we're all somewhere on that continuum. And when someone else, when the disparity between where you're at and your friend, it becomes problematic. And so, you know, we either look at that other person like they're a big wimp, or we look at them like they're casually indifferent to where other people are at. And so are we going to lose those friends? Is that going to be permanent or is that going to be, is it just temporary? Loss of employment, therefore finances, childcare issues, a break from all of this, having the challenges of carrying out normal activities, really difficult. I don't know if any of you have just have felt that you're struggling with some level of brain fog that is not normal for you. I mean, there's some people live with brain fog all the time. We know that. But when people are going through, when they're going through this kind of grief, it's not unusual to have that. Freedom to move around, travel, holidays. Distancing means a loss of physical contact. I suspect that a lot of people that we know, or perhaps you, have had to change your Christmas plans. You're not going to be able to do what you normally do. Making decisions or plans, from my perspective, this is the one I probably personally struggle with the most. Making a plan seems like creating a wish list because they keep changing the game. So, you know, I mean, I know for the center we had to we had put a budget together. And I said to the treasurer, you know, it feels like an exercise in futility because, you know, like, it's all going to change. It seems, like, it seems like a waste of time to make a plan. And that's what a budget is. It's a plan. We're unable to gather together for events that are typically bring family and friends together. Church services... <laughs> Like there's one, two, three, four, five people and all of the tech people. That's all that's here. That's not normal. <laughs> it's not normal. It's, it's not normal to me. This is my second experience in the whole thing. Last week was the first. So it's gathering together for birthdays, for anniversaries, for funerals, graduations, celebrations of life. All of those kinds of things, it's all been taken away, or at least very limited. All those are losses. And here's the kicker from my perspective, and you can do what you want with this, but it's not like we've gone through these one thing at a time. We had it happen to us, everything at the same time. And we're not alone. Everybody else is going through exactly the same losses it's like a, a landslide of losses that we're having to contend with. And for, if, I, if I don't assess it, if I don't look at it, then I'm going to perhaps slip into depression if I don't learn how to grieve. Because there are some things that I can do without, some losses, not that big a deal, other losses, huge deal, huge deal. And if I, my hope is extinguished of ever re getting back those big losses, I will go into depression. If the last and the, or the greatest thing that we have lost, if the hope is gone, 
then it will be extinguished. And that's what happened to that young man that I'm talking about. You can have two people, same job, same kind of family structure, exactly the same kind of financial situation. They both get down, laid off because of a downsizing of the company. One goes into depression, the other just grieves. Why? Because there's a different significance of it. One person will grieve because of the loss. Makes sense. Another person will go into, into depression because they've got no hope of recovering it, and it was a major source of life, value, worth, significance, identity. So I need to identify the losses that I've, I experience and then grieve them. Painful losses, all of those things that cause us pain and hardship. I'm going to suggest to you that grief work has to be done. To put it off, it simply piles up. It's kind of like housework. Um, you know, whether it's indoors or outdoors, if I don't clean my gutters, nobody comes along in the middle of the night and does it for me. I've noticed that over the years. <laughs> I believe it's important that we decide that when we experience grief, we're going to grieve it, we're going to deal with it, not sidestep it, not suppress it, not push it down. What we're going to do is deal with it because, as I said, grief comes in waves and it can overpower us. The analogy that I use is like standing in, the, in a lake, not like a big lake, okay, like a great lake, and the water is sort of mid-torso high, and the waves come in, and they're just kind of rolling over your shoulders, and you're standing there watching the people on the shore play volleyball and whatever else they're doing. And every now and then, a big wave comes and goes right over your head and knocks you down. That's grief. And the problem is you never know when it's going to come. It's not every fifth wave or every seventh wave. It comes when you're not expecting it. So what happens, just to illustrate it, if it was a death, let's suppose that someone who you're getting life from, your spouse, gets hit by a bus this afternoon, and they really liked apples, and you happened three weeks from now being in the produce department of one of the grocery stores, and you see the kind of apple that your spouse liked, it could provoke grief. You're not going to sit down in the middle of the grocery store, even though you feel like it, and cry. That's what you want to do. But you probably won't do it because people will think you're whacked. They'll think you're crazy. So what most people do is they stuff it down inside and never revisit it. How do we do grief work? When I was pastoring early on in my, my after I moved there and started to pastor, a couple that I really weren't a part of the church, but I got involved with them. He had, a, he had terminal cancer, and they gave him six months to live. And sure enough, they were pretty, pretty much right, and he, he died. And I went over to the house to visit with his wife and adult daughter. And when I got there, I mean, I had not been taught how to minister to people like that. I, or if I was, I slept during the class. This woman, this, all she wanted to do was talk about her husband. 
And so I listened to her for about 15 or 20 minutes, and somebody rang the doorbell and had a casserole or something and came by to offer condolences. And I said, well, I'll go now. And she said, no, 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 you stay. Okay. So I stayed, and we... And that repeated the whole night. I was there for like four or five hours. I was thinking I was going to go for 20 minutes and then leave. All she talked about, all she talked about was her husband. I, she, I heard story after story after story. I didn't realize it at the time, but that was her grieving. That's how we grieve. We talk about the person. We talk about things. And the same thing, it doesn't matter whether, what else it is, we still talk about it. I mean, good grief. That's 90% of most conversations nowadays is people talking about the losses, what they can't do and what they would like to do. So how do we grieve? We talk about it. There's only one major problem with that is after a while, nobody wants to listen to you. If you've got one person and you're ta- a really good friend and you're talking to them about the loss of whatever it is and, you, and it's really important and you, keep ta- you talk about it, pretty soon, you know what happens? They avoid you. They see you coming down the street and all of a sudden they have to make a turn. No friend is going to listen that long, as long as we need, except I've got a friend. And his name is Jesus. And he will listen. What I want to do is exactly the same as I would do with a best with a best human friend. I want to sit down or go for a walk and have an audible conversation with my best friend Jesus. You probably want to do it when there's not a lot of other people around because again, People will think you're a little whacked. But go for, go for a drive or go park somewhere in case you start crying. Go for a walk. Talk to Jesus. If you had that experience in the grocery store, you set the agenda of what you're going to talk about in the meeting. You set the time and you set the agenda. So I have that experience in the grocery store. That's the first thing I'm going to talk to him about when I meet with him on Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Whatever works for me. You set the length of time. Don't make it all afternoon. Keep it like you would if you were going to talk to someone and have a coffee for an hour or whatever. And tell them, talk to him as if he's actually there. Because he is. <laughs> he is. Audible, you're talking about it. And if it's a loss of a friend, because some people have known people who have died during this COVID issue, you have to, I'm suggesting you ought to grieve every aspect of the relationship. It's not like, you know, Joe died and, okay, so I'm talking to Jesus and it's, you know, really miss him and I'm sad and all of the kinds of stuff that we experience. But I have to, I'm thinking we have to grieve every aspect of that. When I wanted to go for a coffee, who did I call? Well, I called Joe. If I needed to move a fridge, who did I call? Well, I called Joe. If I needed a ride into Regina for a medical appointment, who would I call? Well, I might call Joe. If I wanted to go fishing or golfing or whatever. We have, that's, those are all losses. You've lost every aspect of that relationship that you can't easily replace. 
That's what you have to grieve. Whatever amount of time that you set aside to have this conversation with Jesus, I'm going to suggest that you cut it in half. You spend the first half talking and the second half listening. And wait for him to talk to you. If nothing happens in the time frame, don't worry about it. Come back the next time. Whatever that is. And that you can change depending on how intense or near it was and all, you know, the, the loss. If he does talk to you, I'm going to suggest that you will hear one of two tracks. Number one, when he speaks to us, he's simply, and I'm simply grieving my losses in a really healthy way, he will understand that and perhaps draw our attention after he li- he's listened and then say, Brian, I know exactly what you're going through because I experienced something just like that. Do you remember that? incident that's outlined in scripture. I found this out the hard way. I, I had a friend who betrayed me, and it was significant. And it took a long time before I figured out that I actually had to listen to him and see what he had to say about what had transpired. And he reminded me of what it feels like to be betrayed by a friend because he knows what I was talking he knew what I was talking about he said you remember when Judas came in to the garden and he kissed me for the first time probably I understood just a wee bit more how he must have felt at that point and to understand how he felt means that I got to know him just a little bit better because when we understand how somebody feels, we, un- we know them better. He wants that. He wants us to get to know him better. Again, if I'm grieving in a healthy way, he's going to, as it says, as he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. He is the God of all comfort. That's one possibility in track one. The other is that he's going to remind us that this isn't what he designed. The shortest verse in the scripture, John, in, in, when Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus, he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. Everybody's there mourning. He knows he's going to raise them from the dead. And if, we, if you study out that passage, particularly in the, in the original language, he was indignant. He was kind of angry, but he wasn't angry at the people. I'm convinced that he was, he grieved because he saw firsthand the impact of sin. That's not what he intended for us. He didn't intend that we would experience that kind of sorrow. And when he establishes the kingdom here on earth, and Laura read it from Revelation, 
And John's the author of Revelation. And John's, the Gospel of John is unique from the other three Gospels in that he's very particular about the chronology of events. The other three are not so much. They've got a different approach. But in Revelation 21 that Laura read, it's, you know, and I'm not going to read it all because you heard it, but there won't And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's kind of like that's the first order of business in the new kingdom. He's going to wipe away our tears because there won't be any more mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. But in the meantime, right now, we may become a man of, or a woman of sorrows acquainted with grief. As it says in Isaiah 53, 3, Jesus was described as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Do you mean if I'm following my rabbi and becoming more like him, more like Jesus, that I'm going to become a man or a woman of sorrows acquainted with grief? And the answer to that question, I believe, is yes, I will. Because I'm going to notice and experience the impact of sin. It's everywhere. It, we underestimate the impact of sin. Give yourself a fun thing to do when you don't have anything else to do during COVID. Start to think of what this world's going to look like without sin in it. There won't be any more arguments. There won't be any more misunderstandings. There won't be any sickness. There won't be any more death. There won't be any more... It goes on and on and on. Paul says, after years of following the Lord, he says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. It's not a popular theme in Christian circles to realize that we're going to experience sorrow and we're going to experience those sorts of things. But that's normal. It's okay. It's not going to undo us because we have a hope. And that this, uh, this loss may be permanent for time, but it, there's a day coming. Years ago, there was a, a, a common saying that was going, today's Friday, but Sunday's coming. That's our hope, and it's, it's absolutely certain. The second track, if Jesus speaks to us and we are moving toward reactive depression because we've lost a major source of life, something, someplace that we were getting our sense of value and worth and self-esteem, he will challenge us and encourage us to repent for attempting to get life from some other source other than him. And then be delighted to show us how much better it is to get life from him. Again, keep in mind as believers, this is, not, this is not bad stuff. Let me illustrate it just for a moment. I spent a good part of my life trying to win my mother's approval. I love my mom, but I just never felt like I was, gonna, I was getting her approval. I had two incidents after I became a believer that were almost identical in the fact that I achieved something and she expressed something to me. And both times, it was, Brian, I just want you to know I'm really proud of you. She stood right in front of me, put her hands on my, 
on my elbows, and she looked up at me because she was short, and she said, Brian, I just want you to know I'm really proud of you. I hadn't looked at where I was, the way I am today, looking at where I was getting life. I grew up kind of thinking, man, if I could ever get mom's approval, because it seems like it's so hard to get, I've arrived. And the first time, that's, I was still in that mindset, even though I was a Christian. And when she said it, it was sort of like, oh, I've waited my whole life for this. This is so good. But it was so short-lived. Didn't last very long. Oh, three, four days. And then I started to look at my life a little bit more deeply. And I had an almost identical situation. Mom stood in front of me, did exactly the same thing, looked up at me, and she said, Brian, I'm so proud of you. I enjoyed it, but as I walked away, I thought, that felt really good, but I didn't need it. I don't need it. I want it, but I don't need it. That's the difference. And I enjoyed it more. And it made a huge difference in our relationship. That's the difference between drinking at the fountain and drinking at a cistern. Is there anything wrong with wanting a parent's approval? No, of course not. It's normal to want it. But there's a big difference between wanting it and needing it. And there are things that are going to happen to us as we live out life, and particularly in a time like this, we're just all going, we're on this journey together. We really are in this together. This is like horrible, horrible. But it does present us with the opportunity of growing in our relationship with the Lord if we see it that way. Because no matter what happens, whatever we've lost, I can still, with confidence, say, I am still, my source of life is still intact. My value, my worth, my identity, my self-esteem has not been diminished. It may have felt like that, but that's not true. And Lord, if I was looking for, to somebody else, whatever it is I've lost for life, I repent of that. I recognize it and I give it back to you. I think that no matter what we go through, and this, this is awful, but no matter what we go through, we can still grow in our relationship with the Lord. And I hope for every one of you who know the Lord, you'll be able to come out at the end of this after everything is back to as normal as we're probably ever going to see it, and say, man, that was a horrible, horrible time, but I got a deeper relationship with the Lord now, and I use that. Not that I learned how to read more or whatever else. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but I think it's a really good opportunity for us to grow in our relationship with the Lord. If you happen to have ended up on this, <laughs> this YouTube 
video and you don't know the Lord, the only thing that, and you'd have to go back and listen to last week the, to see the setup that I did on the fountain and the cisterns. You can avoid depression by finding another cistern. And sometimes that's the way we look at it, even in Christian circles. Well, you've lost this, so we'll get you. Why don't you try this? Why don't you get involved in this? This will help you a lot. Does it work? Yeah, it does. If it didn't work, nobody would do it. But you know what? It only works for time. It's not going to work for eternity. Because no matter what you look to, it's going to be gone. You're going to lose it. But you won't if you commit your life to Christ. And as a Christian, I want to change some of that, get rid of some of those cisterns as I identify them, because I want the deepest, richest relationship with Christ I can possibly have. That's the reason we do it, is because I want to love him and know him better. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the encouragement of your word to depend on you. And total, absolute, radical dependence on you, we can never go wrong. And while some people might not understand that, we know that you do. And Lord, we want to be absolutely, radically dependent on you so that when we talk to other people about the issues of life and some of the losses and the grief, we can talk with some measure of authority and power because we've experienced it. You're there and you never let us down. Thank you. Thank you for that. We love you, Jesus. And we commit the rest of our day, week, month, year, and life to you. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.